Hello and welcome to another Atlas podcast. My name is Alex and I'm joined as always by Martin. Hello, Martin. Hi, Alex. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I was thinking about the introduction, really, and I think maybe my piffy just hello, Alex, is, is a bit too pithy, but, you know. You can get more wordy whenever you're ready. <laughs> okay, so yeah, today we're looking at fast charging batteries uh, and some emergent technologies there. We're also going to discuss the difference between IAAS uh, versus PASS versus SAS. Uh, and then later on, we have a wonderful interview with Yannicka Nielsen, who is going to talk with us about ethical investment and diversity in tech. So lots to talk about today. Yeah, excellent. Good stuff. So, yeah, I mean, you you raised this recently. There have been some large inv- large advancements in electric car batteries, which I think is one of the most important bits of that technology, isn't it? It's one of the sort of choke points in making real progress. Yeah, and battery technology in general. I guess there's, there's lots of different uses of battery technology, but it's really being driven by the automotive industry. Um as many things have been in the past. Um, the automotive industry has really been at the cutting edge of many of the things that are and innovations, both in technologies and in um, uh, you know, manufacturing practices as well. So once again, um, yeah. They're pushing the boundaries. Diversity yeah. And how, you know, how things that are generated in one sector can be used across many, I guess. Yeah, like you say, any sort of advance here finds its way down to, I mean, we've talked about it before, but the phones that you carry in your pockets will be affected by an advancement somewhere almost completely disparate. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And this week, I always think about um, the the battery technology tends to be relatively incremental. um, And it's not, you know, it's not a once again, an area of our expertise, but we do work with um, automotive companies, including um, Tesla, um, mm-hmm. in the manufacturing space, um, and yeah, electrification of both automotive and in the um, uh, aerospace industry is becoming bigger and bigger, bigger news really. And just to pull that, I think there was um, some comments in the news today about the um, um, electric cars now are getting to a tipping point that they could, you know, both financially and uh, um, uh, environmentally, again, to that tipping point now that they are becoming the preference um, for people by looking and buying new cars. So it just shows you how quickly that has actually changed in people's minds. Um, and that does include battery technology, but it requires a really a system approach, a whole system approach to it, because you've got a battery technologies is one part of the system. Um, some of the energy supplier companies are now Mm-hmm. offering half price electricity for people using to use cars um, to charge it up um, so yeah there's quite a lot of um, quite a lot of interesting stuff there but this but this particular um, news article was about um, a, a new um, lithium iron battery that was developed by an Israeli company called um, store dot um, mm-hmm. and you know they're talking about being able to do extremely fast charging of batteries that actually was one of the things that Elon Musk, the, the limitation of those types of things is, the, is what Elon Musk said is the fundamental um, rate limiter um, slowing down the um, sustainable 
energy future because obviously Elon Musk with Tesla don't only have the cars, but they also are looking at the energy storage systems as well. Um, yeah, the, I know they worked a lot with Australia, didn't they, in putting big banks out near solar plants and things yeah. like that because that's that's another, I guess, a big portion of sustainable energy is being able to store what's yes. being produced so that you can then move it off. Yeah, and storage of energy is done in all kinds of ways. You know, the hydroelectric just pump, pumping water back up into the reservoir so you can use that water energy when you need it that's one one form of energy storage ultimately yeah. um, and that's probably one of the easiest technologies out there um, but yeah batteries obviously the main one of the main benefits of batteries is energy density again obviously it doesn't have the same energy density as um, petrol in the car but it's all about those kind of fundamentals about energy density how quickly it takes to charge and how quickly it takes to discharge mm. um and another form of um uh, you know uh, energy storage is the um is the capacitor so um one thing with the super capacitor we talk about you know cranking it up a bit is there has been a lot of work and advances in the supercapacitor market which is a different type of technology or chemistry if you like well batteries mm. are chemistry supercapacitors are more um physics based i guess mm -hmm. um uh, and the supercapacitor has the huge advantage of being able to charge really really quickly and discharge really really quickly um yeah so those kind of and they don't um they don't fade battery have that kind of they work very good for a while and then they get worse and worse and worse as they age and and supercapacitors don't have that same level of problems really so you know rather than using um chemicals to store um supercapacitors they're basically using kind of um two uh electrodes if you like in, in great big plates um that have got some kind of insulating factor between them but mm. you know they can store huge amounts of energy very very quickly so we have to look at the application of those types of things really so i think ultimately it's going to be a it's going to be a combination of these types of technology so you could have a hybrid car with a supercapacitor and a, a quick charging battery that could work together in some way shapes or forms and probably even the um hydrogen cell in some applications will also be very useful i mean the yeah. problem with the hydrogen cell is that you basically you know got very something very um um explosive potentially um, yes uh, and, uh, and therefore the management of that fuel is very difficult where mm. we don't have the infrastructure or the complete system in so um in terms of because i remember when this round of electric vehicles really kicked off maybe 10, 15 years ago. One of the big conversations was not the speed at which these batteries and energy storage units charged, but rather how much they could hold. And it seems like now we're at a sort of parity where you can get hundreds of miles off a battery, but now the, yeah, I mean, it's now flipped to, do I have to store it? Do I have to charge it overnight or for two mm -hmm. days to get a full charge mm -hmm. so some combination it sounds like of these super capacitors which charge mm -hmm. i guess almost instantly you know very quickly yeah and also a more traditional battery and yeah perhaps the hydrogen cell looks like perhaps the future yeah and i think it's going to be horses for courses for different types of um transportation and energy storage and things like that and it's sort of like i said that's why the whole system has to be thought about 
in, in its complete context. The battery is an important part of the system, but also about how you move energy around efficiently. You know, the, 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 as we said about the, when we talk about the SMRs, that base load that the SMRs gives is very important to all of these kind of uh, discussions. So, yeah, there's a lot of investment required in the decentralization of energy generation and consumption and also about how you create an open market for trading of it. And probably also in the mix is about how do you trade carbon as well, mm. part of that, um, because... Um, you know that there are things out there that people are looking at kind of open data platforms or open data standards around energy production and carbon management um and that that's why it's yeah it's a, it's a complicated scenario which um has to be considered in the round um but also you know yeah as we said energy battery storage is very important i think probably the next thing is is about how quickly those batteries depreciate we're going to have a resource demands on different types of battery technology and where does that you know where does the lithium come from or whatever it is you know it all comes a part of the economics of it um, yeah but it's absolutely you know with the headlines about getting to a tipping point about cars um and you know you look at the uh the um you know the competitor to formula one the um um Formula E, yeah. Formula E, um, and Jason Button's now set, setting up his own team and things like this mm -hmm. in that area. You know, you can see absolutely the difference between someone dancing on their own and now there's a whole crowd of people dancing in this uh, in this arena, which is is basically where the tipping point hits. And um, it's interesting. I mean, definitely on my mind about thinking about uh, – what car I'll get in the future. I guess the issue I have at the moment is I don't really need a car because we're not traveling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's what looks prettiest outside the house at the moment. <laughs> so, yeah, great. So um, it's uh, interesting stuff. And you know, from our point of view, I'm really interested about that open data um, platform as well because really once we start to get into the technology of this, about what that market looks like, how do we manage and get value out of the data? Um, I think is slightly lagging behind necessarily some of the technologies in the in the physical world. We'll keep pushing. We'll get there. Uh, okay. Well, uh, perhaps we should move on to our tech spot then. For our tech spot this week, we are discussing the difference between IaaS versus PaaS versus SaaS, so that's infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, and software as a service, which are sort of, uh, they're very much equated, but different levels of perhaps the same sort of idea. Um, if you'd like to give a rundown, perhaps of IaaS, because I think that's uh, probably the, IaaS and SaaS are probably the closest to what we offer uh, at Atlas. Yeah, and maybe, you know, X as a service is, you know, often um, quoted because we have to look at really take a step back and wonder why service, if you like, um, mm. or as a service has become so popular. And it is because of the speed of change of technology. Um, once upon a time when you bought something, yes, it would depreciate and you would need, need it, but the acceleration of technology and the adoption of technology does require different business models and that's because we're creating new things all the time and therefore the kind of idea of having capital um, 
and capital lasting compared to offering a service of which can be anything um, uh, is interesting. And one of the ones that's often pointed to uh, is the Rolls-Royce model, um, power by the hour type of thing, which was moving away from the capital of the engine to Mm. the flying miles that the engine could produce as a service. Um, And in the same regard, we have that with with IT, um, because we all know we we look at the technologies we have today with the phones and things like that. We're often buying or having a different service contract for a different phone because new phones are coming out every, at least every year. Um, and therefore, the, 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 the idea of having and owning things, and we could, we can, we talked about cars earlier, um, transport as a service and things like that is, is, is all going to a part of that ever increasing need for, or drive of technology and advancements and acceleration of technology. And computers are no different from that. Um, so a long introduction to your <laughs> Yeah. So I think uh, I, it's because it's interesting. These are probably, I mean, I, I imagine many people have heard the term SaaS, PaaS, perhaps less. Mm. Uh, but I think infrastructure as a service is an interesting one because it's probably something that most people benefit without in a small way without realizing they benefit because a cloud server is really infrastructure as a service. You're using uh, somebody else's infrastructure to store your data. There is a physical unit somewhere that you have a little part of or a virtual part of, and that's their infrastructure that they're offering as a service. Yeah, and we have to take that look back. What was that before? What was before where you went and bought a capital piece of hardware, which used to be, if it was a domestic use, it'd be a PC. Um, And obviously now with the Mac, rise of the Mac in the home, you know, we would physically go and buy it and we would store our stuff on a, on a PC. Um, What we're actually doing, as you said, is, is now using great big data centers in the cloud as such, or under the sea, as we referred to last time. Um, And that's basically using a bit of disk storage. Uh, in on a, on an in somebody else's infrastructure, and that infrastructure covers everything from the network to get there, the disk storage, the servers that are going to manage that in communications, and also what we call now about virtualization is that there's a separation between the physical computer and the virtual computer because then you can move that virtual computer around, and that was really pioneered by the likes of VMware. And things mm-hmm. like that, which still doesn't really happen in a in a um, in a domestic setting, but it's a way of managing things like redundancy, um, efficiency, capacity control, and things like that, which is the fundamentals really of of, of what a computer's around. And so, yeah, infrastructure service really covers those three elements um, of it. So, how you virtualize the servers, the storage, and the networking of it. So that's mm-hmm. the that means that no longer are you having to manage that within your domestic setting. Somebody else is managing that, and all you're concerned about is moving that file storage, wherever that's all your um, photos and all that type of thing that you're storing on or your, or your music. Where, where platform as service is very much around taking some of those um, applications that you might have virtualized um, and making those kind of things talk together, whether 
that is how you're going to host them on um, operating systems and update those operating systems um, using some level of middleware to make things talk together. And we did talk about API integrations before API integrations really middleware was a way of making systems talk together in an industry kind of three world mm. um, and those kind of runtime environments around it. So platform as service doesn't really cover the kind of data analytics space or, or the applications as such. It's more around um, adding three elements to the um, infrastructure, which is around the operating systems, the middleware, and any runtime environments that you're managing within those kind of platforms. Yeah, I think an interesting example, I may be wrong on this, but for um, the commercial side of things, uh, video game companies now, you have things like Google Stadia, which offer you a platform where you can play video games on their computers. So it's a little bit IAS and a little bit pass as well, that it's not giving you access to a full virtual machine, but rather a platform in which you can log in, you don't have to have the hardware, uh, and you can do restricted amounts of uh, engagement with their machines. Yeah, and it's a bit like, so platform is a word. So even like if you sign up to a as a cloud provider, as a, you can sign up to them, you get a platform. Mm. Um, you get all the operating systems, you get everything to do with it, but you don't really get the application side of that. So you have to build those applications and those data. So stuff like um, in, in a similar way, um, even though within Atlas we create um, our uh, robot process automation application, it's really giving users the platform for which they can then create their applications and data upon. Mm. Um, where SaaS is, it moves us into a world of called uh, microservices, uh, really. Um, they, in, in the truest sense, they're just another type of application. Um, but basically with SaaS, you're getting the complete service. You're getting everything. All you're doing is logging on to that application, um, and that application has all the data models under it, all the runtime, all the middleware, all the communications, all the virtualization, all the servers, all the storage, all the networking. So you're getting that all for, for the value of the service, and you don't have to worry about any of it. Yeah. Um, and... It became really popularized, like I said, with the likes of Facebook and things like that, because what are you doing? You're just you, you you're not installing anything, you're just logging on to um, Facebook and all the applications live there, all the data lives there, all of the you know, we don't even think of these days around oh, what's the latest um, Windows operating system release? It's become yeah. less and less relevant really to what we <laughs> what we talk about now it is the whole um, yeah the whole suite of applications and all those applications are managed and update and that's the thing with the SaaS model as well you get all of that stack of technology but it's also maintained and updated with the latest technology so if we take a few steps back in the old on-site world if there was a new operating system or a new patch released um, or an update to an application all of that system had to be managed by the IT department yeah and that actually was what we call the technical debt of any solution is that when you own the complete technology stack that it offer network storage servers virtualization you have to maintain that stack and the actual maintenance of that that technical debt you own 
out far outweighs the amount of effort is to actually create those new applications. So yeah. somewhere between 60 and 70, 80% of the time and effort is spent maintaining your technical debt, which means yeah. you've got very little time or money left to do new stuff. In the SaaS business world, all that technical debt is owned by the SaaS business. Mm. So there's huge savings. And what that allows businesses to do is to move forward. Technical debt stops people moving forward. Yeah, I think we you, we end up, or companies end up skirting towards the sort of sunk cost fallacy at that point as well, yeah. where yeah. because you've spent such a, a large amount of, and it's not just capital, it's time, like you say, it's effort, it's man hours, maintaining something, it's, it is difficult to go, actually, you need a clean break. And uh, yeah, it's tricky, but it's a, it's it's exciting what you can do with a, with a constantly updating platform. And that's why when we start to look about how businesses will transition, maybe this is a separate we'll have a bit of a separate discussion or separate article on this. Um, is that actually there is a, a there is a transition strategy to move to the cloud, and it includes all those three things. So if you consider that whole technology stack lives on site today. Well, you can start moving some of that technology um, to an IAS. So you can yeah. move your servers, your virtualization, your networking. You could host all of that in the cloud, and it wouldn't really affect how you operate today because you're just moving your traditional application, you know, your infrastructure into the cloud. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so so, that, so that's that kind of first step of the transition would be, okay, that, you know, we have to look at things like latency and how applications between the front end and the back end interact with each other, et cetera, et cetera. But what that does, once you've made that move onto the cloud I, I, I infrastructure as a service, then any new things that you develop, you can then develop either in within the platform that you have or within the SaaS application using the scalable microservices that applications can do. So, you know, it is. it feels like a big step to move to the cloud, but really all you're doing is in that first phase of it is looking about how you host your infrastructure in the cloud um, and then build a strategy around how do you then develop new applications in the SaaS world, really. Um, mm. And maybe PaaS is a bit of an intermediate step between those things. But, yeah, it's all about then someone else is managing your architectural debt um, and allows you to run your business in the most efficient way. Fascinating stuff. Okay. Uh, I think it's time we jumped into an interview. So welcome to the interview portion of the Atlas podcast. Uh, we are joined today by Yannicka Nielsen, who is uh, co-founder of Capital IT and VC Vault, both of which are, uh, or uh, VC Vault being a venture capital platform and Capital IT as a people-focused venture capital fund. Uh, she was also the co-initiator of Inspiring 50, which is a non-profit aiming to increase diversity and inclusion by telling, uh, by making positive role models more visible. Uh, hello, Yannicka. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. And just to be sure, it's capital T, not capital IT. Capital T. My apologies. No, no <laughs> worries. No worries. Uh, yeah. So if you'd like to let us know a little bit about yourself, how you got into this area, uh, that'd be amazing. 
Yes, so um, I've been an entrepreneur actually for the last like 20 years. Um, I got into the whole online uh, space fairly quickly after my studies. And then um, at a startup, I was their second employee. And that was great fun uh, and also inspired me to start my own company. I always knew that I wanted to do that. And I don't know why, but there was just always this voice in my head that, oh, one day uh, I want to start my own company. And so then um, I did. Uh, I had uh, two companies that I both skills and scaled and exited successfully. And during uh, that time, I also started doing angel investments. Um, because I think uh, when you're successful, that's uh, great. Um, and that's due to your own hard work, but also due to an ecosystem built by others. And um, I think it's important to give back. And angel investing is one of the ways um, I've done that. Uh, that first check is super important. It gives you so much trust and energy that... Somebody is willing to put money behind your ID. And I wanted to give that feeling to other people as well. Um, and uh, well, as you mentioned, uh, I'm uh, active to get more diversity um, in tech. And well, all these things combined, um, I met Eva and we sort of had the same ID uh, on, on what we wanted to do uh, next. Uh, we started uh, decided to uh, start an investment firm that uh, focuses around uh, teams indeed because i well we uh, believe that teams are the most important part of a company especially early stage there's often uh, a great vision and of course a brilliant hockey stick but um, mainly a vision and a team and you want to make sure that the team can execute on the vision so um yeah we took some time to decide what uh, a form we wanted to do it and uh, came with a capital T. So yeah, in in that time period from when you first got into investing to now, how do you how have things changed? What have you seen in terms of shift? Well, we started the fund. Uh, we officially launched it uh, a year ago, and that was right um, before COVID. And I think um, COVID changed a lot, uh, positive and negative. Um, I think. The good thing is that uh, certain uh, areas, also the ones we invest in, have uh, transformed much more quickly. So like the digital transformation in education and in health, they have really uh, achieved, I think, more in the last year than they would have normally in five years. So um, the speed of digital transformation, I think, is great. Um, I also think that... Uh, people are more efficient by having meetings online. But at the same time, it's also a negative because um, you can't meet people in person anymore. There's no serendipity. And um, that also means that people refer back to their own networks. And mm. that means that um, people that are normally not in these uh, big VC networks, women and minorities, they have seen the uh, negative effect of that and the investments in uh, women and minorities have plummeted. Wow. Uh, and I mean, considering we're sort of not really out of the woods yet in this whole situation, what do you think uh, is a reasonable path out of that or to remedy that situation? Well, I think the the 
well, the obvious way is that people do uh, look outside their networks, um, even in these times. But I'm not sure um, if that's really going to happen. Um, you've also seen a lot of women, uh, well, uh, leave the task, uh, the workforce um, to take care of uh, their families. Um, so I think to fully recover, we need to just be out of this. Um, but I also hope that now, well, that we're in for, for this for so long, that people uh, start looking at uh, investing differently again and, and there to look outside their um, networks. I think that's something that we're really, well, you know, really conscious of, really. Um, growing up in a very industrial kind of uh, manufacturing environment, um, you see the, the lack of diversity and actually... One of the things we're really trying to press forward with is that trying to get a level of 50-50 split in our workforce, making sure we've got equal split of men and women. Um, and not because of them being artificial targets, it's just that we see the value in it, really. And I know that sounds a little hollow, potentially, but actually having a more diverse workforce is a far happier environment to work in. And it brings in so many different ideas and concepts and, for, and stops those kind of um, pockets of, I guess, in some respects, male behaviour, um, which can kind of sometimes dominate the conversation. So it's something that we've really seen the value in. Um, it's quite hard to make that transformation happen because you need a flow of people or you need an expansion for that to occur. Um, but um, I mean, I guess it's it's back to if you're in your kind of echo chamber or something like that where you're thinking in that way it becomes really obvious that you need diversity but i guess yeah. it's reaching out to those who don't see diversity as a as a value yeah well and i think especially in technology it's super um important um because it has real implications if you build uh, software and services with a um, non-diverse team that can have uh, really dramatic uh, effects on the uh, inclusiveness of these products and services and thus uh, our society. There's like a million examples and a very recent one is a, um, a, an algorithm that the Dutch, Dutch uh, tax authorities used to identify if people committed fraud. And uh, it turned out that uh, certain groups of people were sort of automatically um, uh, marked, um, which led to a big scandal in the Netherlands because often they didn't even commit fraud and they had to pay back a lot of money and they got into debt. And, but there's so many other examples. And especially uh, with algorithms, you often don't see what happens in the box. Um, so you get these computer says no um, uh, things where you're sort of powerless and... Uh, mm. So there's this algorithm in uh, the US that decides on people's uh, prison sentence, but the input data that's being used uh, contains a lot of uh, institutional uh, institutionalized racism. So people of color get way heavier sentences than uh, uh, white people. And, um, but yeah, as mentioned, I don't know how much time we have, but there's like a million um, yeah. examples where a lack of diversity has like real life consequences for the uh, inclusiveness of our society. And I think specifically also in tech, what you see is that there's a fairly small group um, 
that's uh, investing uh, in all these uh, companies and also uh, reaps the, the benefits of them being uh, successful. So that's another reason why it's important to start investing more in uh, diverse entrepreneurs because they are equally amazing. They just don't always get uh, the funding because they are not seen. Um, but when you invest in these people, they will hire in their network. So probably their companies will be more diverse. But when they are successful, they will uh, invest back in uh, their communities. So instead of one group um, of people where the money is floating around, you will get like hundreds. Mm. And um, I think that's also better for society as a whole that we all benefit from um the, the value that's gained in um in technology and that we build the future with all of us couldn't agree more yeah and uh, i was oh sorry martin uh, i was going to ask i mean whilst we're back on investing you discussed uh the benefits you've seen from angel investing do you have any particular success stories or things that are really exciting you about projects you've um you've been involved in well, there's, there's, um, there's a few. And I think mainly what I wanted to do is because we had angel investors as well in our companies and, and that trust you get that's just so valuable that, that that's what you want to give um, to somebody else. Um, but there's, yeah, there's companies that I've invested in that have uh, been hugely successful, also that have been less uh, successful, obviously. Mm -hmm. But then still you can add value as an investor by just being there and uh, showing your support. I mean, when you do angel investor, it's in angel investments, it's super high risk. And you know that up front. So, um, yeah, when things go south, it's also important to be there for the entrepreneur. It's super tough when that happens. When you, for somebody else, that's the, like life's work yeah. going down. Uh, so supporting them at that point, I think, is even more important than supporting the successful ones. Yeah, it's remembering that there's a person behind it all as well. Yeah. And I think that, that leads on to what value is as well, isn't it? Because you could say um, failure is valuable in its own right, because I'm sure those people with the right support will go on to be successful. And I think you've talked about that before, that, you know, being an entrepreneur is a part of accepting things won't always be right and failure is a part of that and success is a part of that that you know and and yeah, yeah but, but, I, but, but to be honest i mean that's absolutely true but when you're in the middle of your company going um mm. down you don't feel that yeah. no <laughs> that, for sure. uh, it's, it's just super uh, tough but yeah probably after a year people can look back thinking okay I can use that experience for my next adventure. Yeah, so, and that requires that level of support, I guess, as well, isn't it? And that's a yeah. network of support as well as, you know, things like financial or whatever other support mechanisms there are. And just, mm. just one thing that fascinates me, what, 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 what do you put your motivation down to? Because I'm always quite keen on understanding, you know, what, what motivates people. And you, you talked about you always have that desire or that that feeling you needed to set up a business but what, what, what do you think drives that motivation yeah it's just um well i like uh, building things uh, right now i really love uh, supporting entrepreneurs but i also at the same time uh, have this uh, desire to make the world a little bit better for the people after uh, that come after us 
and so uh, make uh, venture capital uh, more of a level playing field than it is today, um, also for women and minorities, and um, uh, make sure that uh, tech gets more diverse. And yeah, where is that coming from? I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's just there. <laughs> Well, it's altruistic, isn't it? I think it's the level of everyone oh, thinks entrepreneurs are quite, um, you know, driven, money-making machines. But, but, you know, I'm sure there's lots of people that like to, to see value in other ways. Money yeah. gives you options, and those options allow you to invest in things that you believe in, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. So, I mean, uh, from that perspective... Where, what are your what are your plans what are your hopes for I guess the near future and further down the road well so with um, with capital T we have now done six investments so we're planning to do uh, around 15 uh, more with this fund um, and of course uh, we hope we can show uh, well we're convinced we can show that um, our uh, way of approaching things so with the focus on the team uh, really will make us more successful than others so um, by looking at the team more data driven you basically overlay your gut feel with facts and I think that's very important um, in a business that's so data driven it's actually quite surprising that people don't use more data than they do today mm-hmm. um, to to analyze uh, the teams and uh yeah, we, we have backed founders that we think are amazing. And uh, we hope uh, that, that that will actually show and that they, their companies will be extremely successful and that they will yeah, be able to um, live their dream and, and make that happen with our support. That would be incredible. I mean, we will watch their career with interest for sure. Uh, I'm looking at the time. I think we might be coming to a close. Was there anything else you wanted to ask, Martin? Or um, I'm there. Yeah, lots of interesting things there. I think, and I, I, you know, I think the humanity of what you're talking about has been has really shone through, um, and which I think is very, very important. And I think also one of the things we're looking at is, um, yeah, the zero carbon kind of world, and how do we use technologies and approaches to try and solve some of those big problems, whether that's investing in different forms of power generation and things like that in our, our sector as well. I think there's lots of things that we can do do for good within our business. And that, that requires a slightly different mind shift um, uh, about how, yeah, how we benefit others within that. Um, so yeah, it's been really fascinating to speak to you about that. Um, and uh, yeah, we're really trying to um, bring in that level of diversity i think we've got um, some interviews coming up with some other people who are going to talk a bit more about the what, what role diversity plays in innovation as well so um it's going to be a bit of a theme moving forward so it's great to get your uh, get your opinion on that so well thanks for having me yeah. yes and thank you so much for joining us hopefully we will talk again soon okay thanks, thanks. thank you If you're looking for more information on the world of Atlas or if you have any questions at all, please head on over to weareatlas.com and let us know your thoughts.